glad that you're here because, uh, first of all, it's a long weekend, and I don't know if you've noticed, but there's this yellow ball in the sky that we haven't seen for like 10 months, and so there's this like pressure, like it's sunny outside, we can't be inside, and yet here you are. Way to go, guys. Even my own family left me this weekend to be outside elsewhere. So anyways, glad, glad that you're here, and um, yeah, praying that God will, will speak to us and move in us this morning. Uh, the human body is a pretty incredible thing, and if you, if you have a body, you know that. I uh, found out some, some new things about the human body this, uh, this week, just in, just in using the old Google machine. Um, learned that our, our belly buttons have an average of 60 to 70 different varieties of bacteria in them. Isn't that gross? You knew that belly buttons were gross. That takes it to a whole other level, right? Uh, I found out that our bodies are luminescent. They actually give off light that's like imperceptible to the human eye, but like you're glow in the dark. Did you know that, Edward? You didn't, that's pretty cool. I knew that uh, small parts of the body have uh, disproportionate importance and strength sometimes. Apparently, uh, the pinky finger uh, has 50% of your hand's strength. So if you really want strong hands, you gotta do some pinky curls. Apparently, that's the, that's the exercise you wanna do. Uh, and a quarter of your bones in your body are in your foot, a full quarter of them. And then there's this one that I, I think I'd heard before, but it, it hadn't really, it's still hard for me to fathom. Apparently, if you took all the blood vessels in your body and you laid them out end to end, it would circle the earth multiple times. That's what's inside your body, 100,000 kilometers of blood vessels. I'm not making that up, seriously. And you might not, you may or may not know this, but the human body is one of the best images and metaphors for who we are as a church. See what we did there? We gave you a little bit of like Ripley's, believe it or not, factoids, and then bam, hit you with the Bible. Didn't even know what happened there. Uh, we're, we're talking about spiritual gifts here as, as a church, and we've been going through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which is the most extensive teaching in the scriptures about these gifts of, of the spirit. We're going through this piece by piece. And in the last part of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses this image of, of a body. Uh, and, and he uses that to correct some of the flawed mindsets that the Corinthian Christians have believed about these gifts. And so I'm excited about exploring this with you today. Let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, for the, the glory that is outside, but also the glory that is here as, as we worship you and as we hear your word. So we're in, in asking, uh, Lord, today that, that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, I, I want to give this to you as, as my act of, of service. And I just ask, Lord, that you would do with this whatever you want. And Lord, we, we give you our time here and ask that you would do with it as you want. It's, it's yours, Lord, our lives, all the time that you've given us, it's yours. May we honor you, may we glorify you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 12, we'll just start, read the first few verses to begin. Verse 12, Paul says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. There's a few things here that I think are important to take note of. The first 
is the, the really close connection we see here between the church and, and Jesus. Who does the, or who or what does the image of the body refer to? Verse 12, Paul says, though the body just has, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He says, this is, this is what Jesus is like. One, and, and yet made up of many parts. Interesting, right? But, but then in verse 27, at the very end of this section, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So is the body primarily referring to Jesus or to the church? And the answer is, it's kind of like, yes. Like, it's, it's both of those things. Because Jesus closely identifies himself with the church. By the way, the, the word church, that's the word that Paul uses in the very next verse, in verse 28, to describe this group of people. And it's good for us probably to review what this word means. The church is not a building. Which is why I, I try to make a habit of not saying that this is the church, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to the church today, but instead talking about our church home. The church is not even a worship service. So I, I try to try not to say sometimes that we're going to church as into a worship service because the church is not a worship service. The church is not an institution or, or an organization. The church is not even the sum total of people who are at a worship service in a church home. The church is the network of followers of Jesus. It's the fellowship, whether locally or globally, of followers of Jesus worshiping together, serving together, growing together. And it's this body, this, this group, that Jesus identifies closely with. And Paul got this from the moment that he met Jesus. You, you might know the story where Jesus, or sorry, Paul is walking on the road to Damascus and he's going to arrest uh, and imprison Christian leaders there. He's struck by this blinding light. And, uh, and, and this blinding light, he, he meets Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. And what does Jesus say to him? He says to him, Saul, Saul, that's, that's his Hebrew name that he went by before becoming a, a missionary to the Gentiles and going by Paul. But, he, but Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, for Saul, he probably didn't think he was persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because in, in, in one very important sense, whatever you do to the church in terms of the, the, this body of believers, you do to Jesus. If you love and honor the church, you actually love and honor Jesus. That's why I think in Matthew 25, there's this whole parable of the sheep and the goats and Jesus says, you know, you, you, you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. You, you were there for me. You visited me when I was in prison. And he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. I, I, that's, I don't know if that's so much a call to social justice, although I think that's, that's good and right. I think that's more saying what we're saying here, that whatever you do for the church, or even for those disciples who are disadvantaged and, and in low circumstances, you've done for Jesus. And conversely, if you, if you separate yourself from the church, if you disconnect yourself, you're actually disconnecting yourself from Christ. And I wish that more people understood this. You've got way too many Christians who, because they've had bad experiences of the church, they've disconnected themselves. They've said, I, I'm going to be a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't need to be in relationship with followers of Jesus. And I just want to say, do you know what you're doing? Like, I'm, you're all here. I'm preaching to the choir here. But, 
But when people do that, it's just, it's, it's, you're, you're separating yourself from Jesus. It's only a matter of time before a, a finger that's disconnected from the body withers and dies. If you exalt yourself above the church, you are exalting yourself above Jesus. If you, if you, when it comes to spiritual gifts, however you use those gifts, Jesus receives that. If you use your gifts to serve others and build up the church, you are in fact serving Jesus. But if you, if you use your gifts to denigrate others who don't have the same gift as you, then, then you're actually denigrating Christ. Whatever you do to the church, you do to Jesus. And th- this is going to factor in big time today as, as we go along. Now this also means that the church is the primary manifestation of the living Jesus in the world today. This is how the world is supposed to find out who Jesus is and what he's like. It's, it's through the church, right? Because we are his, his body. Now people find out who Jesus is through the, through the scriptures, through the gospel, but as the church lives and grows and serves together, this is how people know Jesus. You know, I, this, this, you should... You should have picked up on this by now from our church that we're all about Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what we want to do. We believe that the world needs to meet. This man needs to meet Christ. And, uh, and our life together, our witness together is how that's going to happen. I had to catch myself in this earlier this week because I, uh, I met one of my neighbors for the first time in my complex. And uh, he asks me what I do. And I, so I tell him that I'm a pastor. And, uh, and he tells me how he, he kind of grew up in a strict, kind of traditionist, traditional upbringing. And, uh, and he knows about this, this church building because he was born and raised in Deep Cove. And so he's, you know, he kind of knows that we exist here. And, but he's saying, yeah, this is why like, I don't really want to have anything to do with religion. And I find myself telling him, oh, well, you know, our church is different because, and I hate it when I say this. I always regret it. I'm like, oh, it's like a rock concert with a TED Talk, you know? Like, oh, I hate it when I say that. But that's what I said. And I was like, yeah, and I could preach in jeans. And oh, look at that. Aren't we so cool? And I'm like, what am I talking about? What is that? That's not what this is about. What, what kind of life is in any of that? And, and so hopefully not too late, I corrected myself. And I said, you know what? Like, we're not. We're not about forms. We're not about a bunch of rules. Like, what we really, what we really love, who we really love is Jesus. And we just really want people to meet him, he's the best thing that we have going for us. Forget about all that other stuff that I, that I said. You know, because the church is primarily supposed to make Jesus known. That's, that's what we're here for. We are his body. And when we don't do that adequately, when we don't reflect the character of Jesus, then instead of just kind of giving up on the whole thing and saying, oh, it's, it's useless, we need to turn to him and we need to listen to our identity once again. It's what Paul says to the Corinthians. This is a church that had its fair share of mess-ups. It was a church that was, was broken in all kinds of ways. Yet Paul says to them, you are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are holy. You're set apart. You're sacred. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. This is who you are. So be who you already are. You are the body of Christ. And every one of you is a part of it if you are in, if you are in him. Got to go back to that identity. Second big thing from this is, is what ties the body together. 
Now, I, um, I Googled this as well. I was like, what, do, what would people say holds our human bodies together? And I found out that it's this thing called laminin. And laminin is this collective, this, this connective tissue that makes up our, is part of our blood vessels and our, uh, our organs and our muscles and our joints and, and all kinds of things. This kind of holds us together. Now, when I looked it up on Wikipedia, this is the schematic diagram that they show for, for laminin. What does that look like? That's a cross. I was like, that's so cool. We are literally held together by the cross. And I know any scientists are here are like, this guy's way in over his head. He has no idea what he's talking about. But it's true. We're held together by the cross. And, and it's true when it comes to the church, right? That we are held together by our faith in Jesus and by the reception of the forgiveness of sins that we have because he died for us. Now, that's not actually where Paul, it's true, but that's not actually what Paul emphasizes here in this passage. Instead, what he says ties us together here is the Holy Spirit. He says that we were all given the one spirit to drink, that we were all baptized with or by or in. There's a whole debate there we don't need to get into, but that we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying, all of those are just different ways of saying that if you have your faith in Jesus, then you have been given the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit of the Almighty God. And not just you, but every single other person who has put their trust in Jesus. And this holds you together no matter who you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile or slave or free. Now those were big identity markers in the first century. Those were the kinds of things that united you with other people who had the same status and divided you from others who didn't. You didn't generally cross those lines. If you were a, a Jew, you weren't going to be spending a lot of time with Gentiles. If you, were, if you were a free person, you probably weren't hanging out on Friday night going for drinks with, with slaves. Like You didn't have those, those kinds of equal peer relationships across those lines. But Paul says something incredible has happened. There is a unity. You are tied together with people you have nothing else in common with in the world except that you are mutually indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that's true today as well. We're big on identity in our culture, right? We are desperately searching for what sets us apart. What, what's, what's our group? What brings us with other people? And we rely on ethnicity or we rely on our age or we rely on political affiliation or we rely on any number, our socioeconomic status or whatever it is to say, this is, this is my group, this is what I'm a part of, and all those other people are out. And here is a unity and an identity that, that actually relativizes all of those others, that transcends them, supersedes them. That in the church, you've got people from all kinds of backgrounds tied together by the Spirit. And this, again, is going to come up big as, as we go through this image, this, this unity that we have. And the third thing to notice, the, the important thing in this passage is the point of connection between the church and this image of the body. The primary point of connection, Paul says, is that there is both a unity and a diversity. And he says this a couple of times. The body has many parts, but it's one body. That's the way it is with the church. And that's what Paul is going to explore through the rest of this chapter. So let's keep going. Verse 15, this is where, where Paul is going to deal with, uh, with, with one side. He's going to focus on the diversity in the body in this next section. And, and he's going to do this because there are some people in the church then and today who think that they are inferior to others. 
because they don't have the same gift that somebody else does or to the same extent that someone else has it. So this is what Paul says. Verse 15, he says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So Paul, verses 15 and 16, he's asking us to use our imagination here. Imagine that the parts of the body could actually speak. I mean, imagine that a, you know, a foot said, well, I'm not, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not part of the body. An ear says I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It's ridiculous because body parts don't talk. But also, because of course you need all of these parts to have a fully functioning, healthy body. I mean, you, you need these, right? You need the sense of hearing, you need your feet. But if you, could, if you could imagine that the parts of your body were sentient and could actually speak, you, you can imagine why an ear might say this. Because in an ear, uh, compared with an eye, what, what do you pay most attention to? I mean, you, you look people in the eye. You, you, you notice their eye color. You comment on their eyes. When's the last time you heard somebody say, you know what, you have the most beautiful ears I've ever seen? <laughs> like, it's just weird, Right? <laughs> Like the only time you notice ears is when they're really awkward and off-putting. And then you shouldn't say anything about it. You should leave it alone. You don't notice ears, generally speaking. You know, my feet, you know, my feet, they, they get me from A to B. But I'm going to tell you something. They're not very presentable. I mean, I try not to wear sandals too much in the summer because my toes are all twisted and distorted. And that's more information than you thought you were going to get today about your pastor's toes. But... But generally speaking, our feet are not terribly presentable. Feet are kind of gross, right? And so you can understand why, why a foot or, or an ear might say this. Might go, well, like if, I, if I'm not noticeable in that way, then why do I even bother? And so when it comes to spiritual gifts, because that's what Paul is talking about here, there are some gifts that are pretty public and noticeable, right? Obviously preaching, what I'm doing here, that's one of the more public kind of exercises of a spiritual gift in a church. But there are others, I mean, people who are gifted and called to serve as leaders in the church, whether as an elder or, or a board member or people who have the gift of prophecy, I think, rightly exercised. Those are, those are more public kinds of gifts. And there are other gifts that, that aren't noticeable or aren't very public. They're behind the scenes. Gifts like giving, at least the Jesus way, where you're not supposed to, not supposed to trumpet it around what you've given. You're not supposed to get your name plastered all over the place. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Giving, the gift of giving, is, is a more behind-the-scenes gift. Gifts like serving and helping and mercy, again, are, are not quite as public or noticeable. And people who have those kinds of gifts might go, well, I'm not contributing anything because I'm not up front speaking. People don't notice what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a very public figure, so it doesn't really matter if I do it or not. Again, there's something that's understandable about that, but it's not right. It's not correct. The body has all of these different parts, some of them more noticeable than others, but every part plays a crucial role. Paul takes this even one step further. He says in verses 
uh, 17, and then also in verse 19, he goes, can you imagine if a body was just one part? Like if the whole body was just an eye, what could possibly get done? I was thinking about uh, Mr. Potato Head when I was going through this. Uh, you know, like some, some kids, they, they make sure that like all the parts of Mr. Potato Head are exactly where they should be, right? Like don't mess it up. And then other kids think it's hilarious when you stick the, the Mr. Potato Head arm through his nose or through his hat slot or whatever. But I, I thought, what, what if you had a kid who just took like a whole bunch of eyes and just put them in every single slot on Mr. Potato Head? I asked Rodrigo to put together an image like this, and this is the first thing he came up with. I mean, that's not at all what I was thinking. And uh, if you have nightmares tonight, you know who to talk to. It's uh, Rodrigo. You can get his email in the bulletin. Tell him what this image did to you <laughs> to scar you. Uh, I said, no, 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 Mr. Mr. Potato Head, he's a toy, you know? And so you got to put, put eyes all over him. So then we came up with this, which is a little bit better. But you, you, get, you get the picture, right? Like if, if a whole body was an eye, nothing would get done. And so again, when it comes to, to spiritual gifts in the church, I mean, if every single person here was, uh, was gifted with preaching and, and really not with like anything else, couldn't really do anything practically with their hands, I'm describing myself here, uh, you know, we would all be taking our turn preaching once every six years or so and nothing, you know, no practical needs would ever get met. If everybody was gifted with administration, we'd have the most well-run kind of, uh, you know, body ever, but nobody would be able to teach anyone from the scriptures. No community groups would get led. You, you know what I mean? You know, if everybody was a prophet, Paul says in chapter 14, only two or three prophets should speak at a gathering. That's a lot of people out in the cold with their gift. If the whole, you know, there's some part, there are some gifts that are maybe more desirable, that, that seem like the gifts that, oh, if I could have a gift, that would be the one. If everybody had that gift, then you wouldn't have a body, you would have a monstrosity. And so Paul says in verse 18, this is, this is really the crux of the matter. He says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This is the point we're going to keep on coming back to in this series. We can easily think that the spiritual gifts are about us. You know, this is my gift. I possess it, and I, I, want, to, I want to be noticed. I want to be congratulated. I want to be thanked for how I use my gift. And we should thank each other. We should encourage each other. That, that's something God absolutely wants. But we start to like, feel like this this kind of like pride, right? Like I need my status to be exalted. I need, I need people to notice me. And we forget that in the end, this is all about God. Like he's the one who gives the gifts. He's the one who works through the gifts. He's the one that the gift exists to, to glorify. It's all him through and through. It was his decision to give you this gift, right? So if, if you're somebody who's like, well, I don't like the gift that God has given me. I, I, I think that I should be used differently. I think I should be more prominent. Well, you're actually, in one sense, you're, you're, you're saying that you're wiser than God. Because this is, this is his thing. It, it's, it's, his, it's his doing to place the parts in the body where they are. And remember again the whole thing about the body of Christ. What you do to the church 
you do to Jesus. So if you say, well, God, I don't like the gift you've given me. I don't, I don't think it's important enough or prominent enough, so I'm just not going to use it. I'm not going to put the effort in. I'm not going to actually give myself in this way. Then, then it's not just that you're sticking it to the church here. In some sense, you're actually depriving God of what he is due. He's given you this gift for a reason, for a purpose. Whether you think it's the best gift in the world or not, it doesn't really matter. It's the gift that God has given you so that he can be made known through you and through the church as a whole. I'll tell you a little bit about how I can relate, how I relate to this. Um, there are gifts that I, that I look at and I'm like, oh, I wish I had that, that gift or the other. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But for me, sometimes it's also, it's, it's not just that somebody else has a gift that I don't and I wish I had it. It's also somebody else has a gift and I have the same gift, but I wish I had it to the extent that they did. Or that God seemed to be using me as much as, as he's using that person. And I, I've struggled with this as a pastor where you go to some, some big conference and some hotshot guy is up there and, and he's like regaling the crowd with, his, with the stories of his spectacular ministry and you're like, oh, I'm nothing. You know, and I, I felt like this, I wrote about this in a newsletter recently, which at least 10 of you, I've, I've discovered at least 10 of you read, um, but I wrote about this, how I went to Victoria with a bunch of youngish lead pastors from our Canadian denomination, and I'm meeting all these guys, and then one guy is like writing books that are getting widely published, and, and one guy is like teaching classes at a seminary, and these are all guys like roughly my age, Right? These other guys are pastoring churches of like over a thousand people. And, I, and they're like way like more thoughtful and way more articulate than me. And believe it or not, they're funnier than me too. And I'm like, what is anybody doing at the bridge church? Like with me there. Like, like I just felt so like small and insignificant and kind of dwelling on this. And I'm feeling sorry for myself. You know, I'm like, oh, like I should just resign because I'm useless. And like, I'm starting to think, like, I'm, I'm like the, I'm the ear, I'm the, I'm the foot here, right? And then all of a sudden, I snap out of it, and I go, wait a minute. This isn't about me. Like, like, when I put my faith in Jesus, I died to myself. I died to a life that was just lived for my glory and for my status. This isn't about me. This is about him. My life is his. And he's given me the gifts that he wants to give me at this point of time, and he's using me in the way that he wants to use me to the extent that he wants to. That's up to him. My job is to be faithful, to be surrendered to him, to be available to him. But in the end, it's his prerogative because it's his body and it's his gifts that he has given me. So if you can relate to that at all, if, you, if you're somebody who struggles with that sense of inferiority and you go I just don't measure up I don't know if my gift is that important if it's that meaningful if it really helps anybody that much then, then here's the perspective you need it's not about you it's 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 about Christ he's given you that gift and it's important it's crucial it's critical for the health of the body as a whole and in the end you're not meant to serve to, to primarily even to try to, to try to serve others. You're certainly not meant to extend your own status. Your first and foremost job is just to serve Jesus. You've been given that gift to glorify him. You are part of the body of Christ if you are in Jesus. Use your gift 
Don't worry about comparing yourself to others. So Paul deals with this whole inferiority thing by talking about the, the diversity in the body. He's got a lot of different parts. Now he's going to turn his attention to those who are feeling superior to others because of, of their gifts. And he's going to especially emphasize that the, the unity of the body here. Verse 21, Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the, par- the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Can you imagine uh, an eye or a, or, or, a, or a head saying to the rest of the body, well, I've got this under control. I don't need you at all. This kind of thing happens in churches. If you have a pastor or some other leader who gets kind of high on themselves and, and they start treating other people flippantly as if they don't really matter, their contribution isn't really that important, or you have people who have a certain kind of more flashy, extraordinary gift, like speaking in tongues or prophecy, or they're used to heal others, and they kind of go, oh, you just help people? You just give your money? Like, that's not spiritual at all. I'm way closer to God than you. Who, you know, we don't even need you involved here. Like, we'll take care of the ministry. You can see that kind of thing happening. And so that's what Paul is addressing here. And it's interesting because uh, he actually, so he's using this image of, of a body, and there actually was a famous speech in Greek lore that used this same kind of image. So centuries before, in the Greek Senate, there is the speech that was delivered, and it may have been known by Paul, where, uh, where, where a gov- or some, someone in the government kind of compared the, uh, the, the Senate to, uh, to the, the stomach. And, uh, and he said, can you imagine if the whole body revolted against the stomach? Because it seems that all the stomach does is, is consume, doesn't really help the rest of the body at all. And so the rest of the body goes, that's it. We're not giving anything to the stomach. We're cutting it off. What happens to the body? Well, the body dies of starvation. And the point as it was given then was that you got to keep, keep feeding the government, guys. You got to keep supporting the government because if you cut it off, you're done for. So the idea, the way the speech was delivered then was that the weak, those poor peasants over there, have to keep on propping up the, 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 the strong and the, and the powerful. Now, Paul uses this image in exactly the opposite way. He's not saying that the weak should continue supporting the strong, but instead he looks at those who think that they're strong, who have gifts that they kind of think make them feel superior, and he goes, you have have a role here in lifting up those that seem weak. You have a role here in recognizing how dependent you are on them, not vice versa. He does this in a few ways. He says, look, the parts that, that seem weaker are in fact indispensable. There are parts in our body that are like that too, right? If you think about the, uh, the cuticle, it's that like hard layer uh, kind of connecting right, right in between your fingernail and the rest of your finger. Uh, not a part of your body that you probably ever give thought to, that you don't really pay a whole lot of attention to, and yet apparently is, is critical in keeping dirt and bacteria from entering the rest of your body. 
There are going to be people in the church that you don't really notice a whole lot, and yet they're serving diligently with the gift they've been given, and it's critical for the health of, of the body. Just because you don't notice it or you don't see it doesn't mean that, it isn't, that, it isn't, that that person isn't doing something essential for the church. Paul then talks about parts of the body that are unpresentable, that, uh, that, that seem more shameful. And basically every commentator here agrees that Paul is, is actually talking about genitalia, talking about, uh, about the private parts of our body. And I've, I've got an illustration here to show you what I mean. I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> I was like, should I say that? Should I tell that joke? Should I? Anyways, it happened. Um, so Paul, Paul's probably talking about that, and, and he's saying, look, in, in one sense, you would think, well, those are the parts of the body we, we don't, want, don't want to see, we don't want to talk about, we don't want to look at those. But he says, in, in one sense, if, if you look at it from a certain perspective, we actually give a lot of, of effort or pay a lot of attention and, and spend a lot of time making sure that those parts aren't exposed in a way that they shouldn't, that, they, that, that we kind of protect those parts, that we, that we uh, shield them from, from vulgar or, or trivial kind of exposure, Right? So we give them special treatment. And so Paul's saying, in, in some ways, this is what, this is what God does with, with the church. There are some parts that are super public and noticeable and everything, and they actually don't need a lot of special treatment. But what God, what God does with the body is that he gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. And I, had, I had a conversation. It's, it's really cool how this, this series, this, this text, is bringing up a lot of different conversations. Um, in a conversation with somebody this week who said, you know, I'm on board with everything you're saying about spiritual gifts, but it really troubles me how so many Christians just are after kind of the, the, more, the more flashy, extraordinary gifts. And where are the people who are begging for the gift of giving? Where are the people who are begging for the gift of being able to help and, and, and being able to show mercy? You know, those gifts that are behind the scenes, where are the people striving for those gifts? And I, I think he's right, you know, that that, that, that what, what we read here is that those are maybe the gifts that we should especially be desiring, not the ones that put us on a pedestal and that exalt us above others, but even the ones that, that are behind the scenes but are, are, are building others up. Those, those are the gifts that, that, that God seems to especially give honor to. And, and we see this over and over again in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian Christians, if you were to read the whole book, this whole letter, they were really, really on about status and power. And Paul has to say again and again, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's, it's countercultural in this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, look, you guys were not, you were not noble. You were not the rich. You were not the powerful when you were called. You were looked down on by others. But Paul says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This is what God does in the scriptures again and again and again. He lifts up the lowly and he humbles the haughty. And so if you are somebody who feels, for whatever reason, that you are superior to others, because you've been given a gift or a responsibility or a calling that, that is more noticeable, more public, this is what you need to hear. That those who are proud are setting themselves up for a fall. That God is concerned to lift up the lowly and give special honor to the parts 
that lack it. He says, look, for those of you who think that you're strong and superior, the thing that you need to realize is that, again, by the Holy Spirit, you are tied together with those parts. You treat them badly, you're actually going to suffer as a result because you're part of the same body. When one part suffers, the whole body suffers, right? If you've got a toothache, pretty hard to study. It's pretty hard to pay attention to anything else. If one part is exalted, then the whole body benefits as well. And I was thinking about this. I think we all get this principle. We've all experienced this in very, various ways. I see it in, my, in, our, in our family life uh, together. Um, me, I, I, was, I was talking to a dad yesterday who uh, has a newborn baby, and, and me and another dad were reminiscing about the sleep habits of our kids. And I was, I was saying, you know, our, our son Zachary, and th- those of you who were around a few years ago, you'll remember this. Zachary, um, he, would, he, was a t- he, he would scream for like two hours in the middle of the night, like oftentimes, like inconsolably, uh, just, just screaming at the top of his lungs. He was suffering, and we could never figure out exactly why, but he was suffering. And let me tell you, the rest of the body suffered as well. The rest of the family felt the effects of that. Our marriage, I was challenging there. Uh, our mental health was, was challenging, right? The whole, the whole part, the whole family suffered because one part, although Natalie would miraculously sleep through the whole thing, three-year-old girl would just like breeze through the night as if nothing was happening, screaming infant with an earshot. She was totally fine. One part suffers mostly, the whole body suffers. And it's conversely as well, right? One part of the body, something good happens, you all feel it. That happens in a family. Our uh, kids' school, they had a track and field day uh, a few weeks ago, and Natalie came home, and she's not one for the spotlight. She, she doesn't really want to be noticed, but uh, she told us she was the, she, in the sprint. She was the second fastest kid in her class. She was faster than all the girls and all the boys, except for one, whose mom I think is here as well. Um, and some other parents whose my kid is faster than their kids. Anyways, we're not talking about that. <laughs> but I was like, I was so proud, right? I was like, oh yeah, I'm so jacked up. And the thing is, I didn't, I didn't run the race, and I, I wasn't like on the track early morning training her, although now I'm tempted to, you know? I'm tempted to become one of those fanatical dad coaches. Like, she's going to the Olympics, baby. Here we go. But, uh, but I, I didn't do anything, right? But she's, she's part of my family, and so something good happens to her. I, I feel encouraged by that. I, you know, the whole body kind of rejoices in that. This is how it is in the church. One part suffers, we all feel it. One part is exalted, the whole, the whole body feels it. We are so tightly tied together by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're somebody who struggles with feeling superior and kind of like, tempted to kind of think of others as less or realize that if you treat them that way, you're, you're actually, just you can think about this totally selfishly, you're going to be impacted by that too because you're part of the same body. So build one another up. Use your gifts to build one another up. Give, give, give honor to those parts that generally lack it. This is unity and diversity. Both are true of the body. And it's so crucial to recognize this. I was kind of trying to figure out what, how, how does if I'm going to conclude this, how, how does this hit home? I mean, what, what, I, I've been praying that you, every single one of you, will have heard something this morning that you needed to hear. Something that God will either convict you or encourage you or whatever. And I'll just offer a couple of thoughts from my, from my angle, but, but you may have different takeaways. A couple of thoughts. Um, one is, is that what I see in the church more generally is, is that you've got we, we've kind of divvied up the gifts almost among churches. 
So you've got some churches where you've got gifts like tongues and prophecy. and You've got other churches that are big on you know, preaching and teaching and instruction. Then you have other churches that are big on like mercy and, and helping and, and, and so on. And, and what it really ends up being is that every single individual church, every local expression of the body of Christ ends up being impoverished because of it. You know, it's, it's, like, um, it's like a guy who just sits on the couch, watches TV all day, eats chips, but he's doing bicep curls constantly. Like, the guy's horridly out of shape, but at least he's got pipes, right? But, <laughs> but that's what a lot of churches end up being like. You know, this is the one thing we're really good at. This is the one thing we do. This is the gift that we welcome here, and the other ones we're not quite so sure about. How important is it that every church actually welcomes all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, everything that God gives. That, that's, that's how we're built up. That's how the church becomes a fully functioning, healthy body, is if we welcome all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the other thing I was thinking about was that in so many churches, maybe especially churches like ours, you end up having just, just a few people who do a lot of the work, right? There's, there's, there's the pastor, and, and so much gets focused on, on, on the pastor, on the guy who's speaking, or on the worship leader, or whatever. And those are important gifts that should be used. But what tragically happens is, is that you end up having a lot of people who are, are just consuming, who are just kind of coming to a, a religious show once a week and taking in a service, and then they go the rest of their week and aren't engaged in any kind of, of ministry. And again, how detrimental is this to the body as a whole. You know, I'm going I'm to talk really, really pragmatically here for a second. You may have noticed that on, on a lot of Sundays, this place is getting more and more full. It's not as much today, again, because it's sunny outside, apparently, and a long weekend and all that. But, but a lot of weeks, this is getting pretty full. And, and so adding another service is on the radar for our church, uh, for, for our leaders. But if we're going to add another service, it's going to be really difficult to do that if we don't have more people saying, yes, I will, I will serve. I want, I want to contribute my gifts in some way. You know, if you are somebody who does well with kids at all, well, we, we need people in, in our kids' ministry, such an important aspect of what we do as a church. If you're somebody who's technically gifted, we, we need help in, in the media room. If you're somebody who's, uh, who's got gifts with, with musical instruments, you know, that, that's a gift that we need. If you're somebody who's warm and friendly and outgoing, we need more people on our hospitality team. If you're somebody who has been blessed with material resources and God has given you this gift of giving, you know, we want to continue to move forward in our mission. We need every single part of the body to be engaged in what we are doing if we are to make Jesus known to this community that desperately needs to know him. I'm confident of this, that God has given you gifts by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to use you. He wants to work through you. He wants to make you a blessing because you are a part of the body of Christ. You are part of his body, making him known, building up his people. Be who you already are. Amen? Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray for my friends here today. Pray, Lord, for those who, uh, who have not yet put their trust in you. And I pray, Lord, they would hear the blessing 
that comes through being part of the body of Christ. That they would know, Lord, how much you love them, that you want them to be part of your body. You want to give them that meaning and that purpose, Lord, in making you known in this world. I pray they would know your goodness. And I pray, Lord, for those who who uh, maybe are, are, are part of the body, but their gifts have not been being used. And I pray, Lord, that you would open the door and stir them, Lord, that they would use their gifts in, in a way that glorifies you and builds up the body. I pray, Lord, for our leadership as a church, for myself and others, Lord, that we would grow in the way that we make space for people, Lord, to use their gifts that we would not just be emphasizing one or the other, but that every gift in the body would be able to be used to glorify you. And I pray, Lord, for those who have been working really hard and maybe who, who feel sore because their part has been exercised so much. And I, I pray, Lord, also for rest. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would carry one another's loads. Lord, we see that we see that you're doing something here at the bridge. We see that you're doing something in Deep Cove. We see, Lord, a, a community that needs to know you. We see a world that needs to know you. Lord, we see, we see the calling that you have given us to do this, to be your body, to be the manifestation of your living presence. So, Lord, we pray in every way, in every part of the body, that we would be who we already are in Christ, that we would be true to our identity as members of your body pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're simply just wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know a little bit more about our church, you can do that through accessing our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to different types of content. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe that he is the hope of this world and wants to give you your hope as well. We believe that the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today. We'd love to hear from you.